Welcome to the Tennis Equipment Masterclass Part 1 with special guest Harry Tong on episode 265 of the Tennis Files Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hello and welcome to another episode of the show. This is Mirban Iranshad, your host, and it's always a pleasure to have you listening. And if this is your first time, welcome. And today we have guest Harry Tong, who is the creator of the Tennis Spin YouTube channel which I've been enjoying a lot. Uh, It's really impressive. Uh, Harry uploads videos pretty much every single day on his YouTube channel about rackets, equipment, and how to improve your game, and many other topics. And it's really cool because he is the shop manager of Brad Gilbert's Tennis Nation, which is a tennis shop in California. And so you see Harry uh, making videos with all the beautiful tennis gear, you know, rackets, strings, shoes, etc. And uh, he's just a really fun and down-to-earth person who has a deep affinity for tennis equipment and gear. So on the show, we'll cover topics such as the right rackets for you, the new technologies and rackets, and what they actually mean in practical terms how Harry became uh, Brad Gilbert's store manager. Um, Brad Gilbert is uh, definitely one of the tennis legends out there. I believe he was top four in the uh, on the ATP tour and, of course, coached Andre Agassi and uh, is the author of a great book called Winning Ugly. We also talk about specific rackets. I ask him about my racket preferences as well and strings and... As I mentioned at the top of the show, this is just part one, so we spoke for about two hours, and I decided to break down the episode into two parts for you, for your listening pleasure. So without further ado, here is part one of my interview with Harry Tong from Tennis Spin. Hey everybody, I am here with Harry Tong. Uh, Harry, it's really a pleasure to to have you on the podcast. I've really been enjoying your your videos on your Tennis Spin YouTube channel and you do a great job at uh, Brad Gilbert's Tennis Nation uh, shop. So uh, yeah, just great to uh, finally see you or you know talk to you directly, um, even though it's uh, you know uh, via the internet. Hopefully I'll see you uh, in physical form one day, but uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Maribon. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, it's, 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 I mean, you've done such a great job. Like I said, your YouTube channel is really, really blown up. And I think it's just due to um, how, you know, affable you are and knowledgeable you are and just down to earth. So um, really enjoying what you're doing. But um, yeah, I guess I want to start, you know, with your background because, um, you know, it's very interesting to see how, how all, all the people in tennis uh, get started in the game. So where would you say your start in, in w- with respect to tennis uh, came from? 
So uh, <laughs> that's an interesting question. Um, it's actually in my kind of bio online and that bio is actually true. I was, I want to say six years old and I remember watching on television, John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors playing Wimbledon on a black and white screen in like the late seventies. And I was like, I need a tennis racket. So I dragged my dad down to the local Walgreens. That's when Walgreens had tennis rackets and mm -hmm. the only one they had, and I didn't know really what it was. Um, it was a Chris Everett, uh, Woody special, like, like a Chris, it said Chris Everett on the racket by Wilson. And I was like, dad, I want I want this. And so I think it was like eight or $10 for that wooden tennis racket. And he bought it for me from then on. I mean, all I did was like hit against the wall with it because I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have, you know, people to play with at age six. So that's all I did was just beat against the wall with that wooden racket. And that's kind of how my passion got started. What, what do you think it, it was about the magic of tennis? Because, I mean, I, I presume you might have seen like other sports maybe on TV or, you know, in physical form as well. So what do you think it was about tennis that got you hooked? I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with the uh, the formalities of it. You know, it, it's uh, it's judged by scoring by people. You know, ins and outs were called by somebody. It, people back then tend to be more. I don't want to say politically correct, but um, definitely like more of a formality. You followed certain things. I mean, McEnroe yeah. was probably the first one that we all know of that, you know, like lashed out and, and used yeah. his emotions to fire himself up. For me as a six-year-old, that was a little unique to me, but a little different to the game. But it, I think it brought people into the game that continued with it. So, but it was like, you're wearing white at Wimbledon, you're wearing collars, and I just thought that was like the coolest thing, you know? So, and from then on, I was like, you know, Wimbledon was like the, the, the beast of all tournaments that everybody watch and still watches today. And I look forward to that tournament every year. So uh, Wimbledon along with, you know, Connors and McEnroe and even like Chris Everett and Martina, you know, I love watching, you know, the, the gracefulness of the game back then. Um, just the the way it was played. Yeah, yeah. It's always interesting how we, um, you know, how much we cherish the memories as a kid, and then we like we kind of like look forward to them like somewhat replicating in some form or fashion later on. So yeah, I definitely hear you with that. And um, and then in terms of like your your tennis career, I mean, did you um, you know uh, play like competitively, or were you more like you know I love the game, but it was more like a casual thing, or how did that go? So back when I played, it wasn't as competitive. I mean, you would really have to find tournaments and they were pretty obscure. So, I mean, I played high school tennis. I played a year at JC. Um, I wasn't very good, but I mean, I managed to, you know, kind of squeak a year out. But, you know, my love of the game kind of just kept me going. I was kind of one of those equipment junkies. Um, mm -hmm. I really wanted to work at a tennis shop and um, string rackets, which I did, you know, when I got into college. 
And I, I was a collector, you know, I loved rackets. I mean, I, I still have a lot of rackets from back then because I just collect, I don't get rid of. So, so I've got a great collection of wood, steel, uh, combinations. I mean, you name it, I probably have one somewhere. Um, yeah, I got room in it. My, uh, my buddy who uh, retired a couple years ago, and he was a real collector. He, he, he worked for Caltrain, which is like the road work people out here in the Bay Area. And wherever he would have a job, he would walk into like a Goodwill or one of those thrift stores and literally walk into the club and say, hey, look what I got. And, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then he's like, I got it for a dollar. And I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> and Quality. Then, yeah, he, he went to. Uh, but I mean, some of the stuff he got, they were pro staffs. They were Prince Graphites. Oh, they were. That's amazing. They, yeah. I mean, it, it's like some of the stuff. he got. It, it's just people just tossed them out, re, you know, um, donated them. And then they just, they don't know what they had. So they threw it out for a dollar or two. Um, he he went to like a retirement community a few years back and he said, hey, do you want uh, my rackets? And I'm like, sure. And then he goes, bring the car over. And I brought the car <laughs> over. There was literally like a thousand rackets in his garage, just like lined up. So I literally made like five, six trips over there. So, I mean, a lot of it were wooden old time rackets that I had to kind of get rid of. But there were a lot of gems in there, too. But that's kind of how I started my career in kind of knowing what rackets are, what they can do, how they benefit certain people. So, mm. so I've, I've always been kind of a student of like rackets technology. Um, who's it for? Why is it for this person? How would it make somebody better? Yeah. And I definitely am going to um, poke more into that because I think you, you'll be able to help a lot of the viewers with, with selecting rackets. I'm, I'm curious. So, um, of all those, uh, you know, all the rackets you've you've handled, like, do you have like a, a one favorite or a couple of them that are just magical for you? Oh man, that's so hard to. Uh, <laughs> that's hard to decide. I mean, <laughs> Thousands of rackets. The the one racket that's magic for me. Well, there's three of them, but the one magic, the one one, the one racket that I always try to seek is is a Yamaha. Uh, I mean. Oh. We all know Yamahas for like pianos and possibly motorcycles, Bikes, but yeah. they did uh, make tennis rackets and they were very successful at it in the late 80s to early 90s. Um, if you know a person by the name of Yannick Noah or Gabriella mm -hmm. Sabatini, mm -hmm. uh, they were kind of the face faces of that brand. And the Yamaha Secret 4 uh, is one of my favorite rackets out there. It's it's one of those magic rackets, as I call it. It's a hundred square inches, um, super stiff. It's got an RA of mm. eighty. So <laughs> when that puppy hits that ball, it's going. But that was like during the time of wide bodies. So it was when thick rackets were in, power was in, and uh, but yeah, I, I tell everybody, if you see one of those guys somewhere, garage sale, whatever, you buy that racket. It, it's magic. Wow. So would you equate that to some sort of like even stiffer somehow Babolat or something? Or like what modern oh racket God. would you? Oh my God. There's <laughs> nothing that compares to that these days. Oh, really? Um, I mean, Jesus. 
I mean, the only thing that would compare would be one of those kind of super light big rackets, like a TIS six or a TIS five yeah. would be kind of the closest thing. Uh, the Yamaha was like a 12 ounce racket though. These TISs are like 8.8 8 to nine ounce rackets. So it, it, it's kind of in the ballpark in terms of stiffness, but not in terms of control. Hmm. So how do you think the the pros um uh Sabatini and Noah were were playing with that that type of racket that uh, it sounds like it has like a super amount of power in it. Yeah, back in that day we still strung our rackets back at at 65 pounds to 70 mm -hmm. pounds, maybe upwards of about 75 pounds to keep the ball in play. But yeah, that's the only way you could control it. I mean, my friends and I who who had that racket, like 65 was pretty normal with like Prince top spin or Prince synthetic gut. Um, Polly wasn't really a player back then. So it was either gut or a synthetic. And that's how you would keep it in just by super tight strings. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Cause I used to play with the uh, hammer 6.2, the skunk that um, oh, yeah. uh, Todd Martin played with. Yeah. But I, at that time I was, I was stringing in like the low sixties or maybe even mid sixties. Mm -hmm. um, but now I'm like closer to 50. So it's uh, definitely, gone down quite a bit using poly as well though um and then you know as far as um your transition then to uh brad gilbert's uh tennis nation store like how did that come about because that's so cool that you know you're associated with and I, I was actually listening to a podcast interview that he did with you as well uh, on his podcast so like how did that relationship happen so it was a very interesting relationship um i was literally in a retail store uh, Lombardi sports in the city for about nine years. And, uh, I, I worked there throughout my college, um, career, which spanned all of seven and a half years. So it took me seven and a half years to graduate out of college. I didn't really want to go triple to major. <laughs> <laughs> I did, you know, I did change majors. I, I couldn't pass uh, okay. finance or or computer science. So I switched to political science and, mm, you know, three papers, no finals. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I graduated in that too. So yeah. Good oh, major. Good. You know how it is. <laughs> just, just write your way through your, yeah, your it's, degree. It's write some words, you know, you're good. <laughs> exactly. You BS your way through it pretty much. That's and, right. That's and then, so when I, when I graduated, my first job was at a tennis club in which mm. I worked at for about a year and a half. And then I, I went on to other things, but I've all, I've always worked in the tennis industry on weekends, even though I had full-time mm -hmm. jobs and Devin, one of Devin's, I mean, one of Brad's best friends, his name was Devin. He inherited me, uh, when he became a GM of one of the clubs. Mm -hmm. And so Brad approached Devin and said, what do you think about opening up a shop? Like, back in the day when we were in Piedmont in Oakland where they would hang out. Right. And then, so, so Devin, the partner came to me and said, what do you think about opening up a retail store in Marin? I was like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> don't, uh, yeah. don't bother doing that. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was like, you're going to lose your shirt. No one's going to come. You know, that's a thing of the past. Why would you, why would you even think about doing that? Obviously they didn't listen. And uh, they decided to go ahead and do it anyways. And I wasn't part of it. They just asked me if, if they should. Um, they brought in a third partner. Uh, for the first year and a half, uh, they, they ran the store and they ran it very successfully. 
they were actually very surprised at how many people actually went to the store pretty much off the bat. Um, mm. Back then, there was a little more competition. There were like two, three other places that kind of did the same thing. But obviously, with Brad's name, you know, it, there's a draw there, right? Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, so they were pretty successful from the start. And the third partner that actually managed the store kind of, they kind of had a little falling out. And mm. I, you know, I, I said, I'd help you out a little bit for about a year. And then something happened to me where my, my full-time job got like relocated, let's say. Mm. So they closed our division in San Francisco mm. and moved it all to New York. And mm. I wasn't going to move to New York. So I, <laughs> So I did it part time and then they finally kind of said, well, we kind of need somebody full time. Would you be up to doing this? I'm like, sure. You know, and and (laughs) so it's how many years has it been now? It's been 16. It's been 15 years since I said yes. So I split my time, though. I split my time between there and at the tennis club. So my two part time jobs became my two full-time jobs. So I do put in, you know, six days a week between the two places. And I've only recently started taking Mondays off. Like I was working literally seven days a week for like 12 years. Wow. So, yeah. That is rough. That is yeah. rough. So what, what's your split like between the shop and, uh, and the club? Is it like 50, 50 or is it? Uh, the club I put in about 40 hours, the shop I put in about 30 30 to 35 wow. hours. So it's, it's a long day. I mean, I get in at like eight to eight 30 in the morning and then I get out of the club at about nine 30 at night. So it's a good 13 hour day for me. Wow. So, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that's a lot, you know, you're working two full-time jobs and then also, I mean, I guess I got to sneak this in. I wanted to ask about it a little later, but I mean, how do you manage <laughs> with the YouTube channel, man? I mean, how do you, how do you fit that all in? Well, it, it, it's tough. It, it's tougher now. I mean, when when pandemic hit, I had a lot of free time. And that's how yeah. we pretty much got started because of all that free time. But um, right when I get in at 830, you know, I kind of have a, a list of what's what, what I would like to talk about and some subjects that I wanted to do. So we literally shoot for an hour to an hour and a half. Um, in the morning, like the store stuff when I'm, you know, standing at the store and, and talking about various, various subjects and topics, the on court time usually happens after hours. So when we hit, it's usually when everybody's gone or, or I take it to a, like a local court, like my, my buddy coach Rob has a court or we do it at the club or we do it at a different club. And that's like after hours when everybody's gone. So it, it, it's, it's tough. We, we kind of work on the outer fringes of, you know, before we open and then kind of mm-hmm. after we close, sometimes we'll do it in, in the middle with, if it's a slow day, but most of the time we either early or late, depending mm-hmm. on what we're doing, but yeah, no, yeah. it's tough. It's tough. I mean, we, I want to do it every day just cause I'm on a roll and it's, it's been, I think in the last two and a half years, I might've missed two days. I might have missed two days wow. of, uh, of, of posting on YouTube. Wow. So. That is, that is really, really impressive. Yeah. You know, sometimes people tell me, wow, you got a full-time job and you're doing this, uh, online tennis stuff, but you have two full-time jobs and you're doing it. So well done. Um, no, thank you. 
Yeah, of course. Um, so question about racket. So I definitely want to uh, procure your knowledge, if that's the right word. You know, uh, mm-hmm. so first of all, like, um, what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes that players make when they want to get a new racket that's for their game, but they end up just taking the wrong approach? So the, the one thing that I see um, where I am is that everybody wants to kind of be like everybody else. They, you know, our number one seller is like a pure drive or a clash or an arrow. And yeah. I mean, obviously they're super sexy, their friends have it and they kind of want to be like their friends. You know, it's like keeping up with the Kardashians, you know, it's like keeping up <laughs> with the pure drive, keeping up with the pure arrow. You know, right. I mean, it's like, okay, if you want it, that's fine. I mean, it's a, those three rackets are great all around rackets, but there's so much more out there. I mean, yeah. the, everybody makes a pure drive type of a racket. Everybody makes an arrow type of a racket. You know, Clash is kind of very unique, and I feel like 80% of the people can definitely get away with that and understand the racket. 20% of people, not going to understand, not going to like it. But there's so many more options out there than those three. So, like, don't don't yeah. choose it because your friends have it. Make sure you get something that fits you. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. I mean, I and I guess a lot of people also kind of go based on, like, what looks cool and all that. So um, Definitely. But- yeah. <laughs> Going back to that topic, I actually did one, um, a video on that that says, I tell people, look on, look on the wall. Which one looks the best to you? And they're like, they always gravitate towards the white racket, a strike, uh, a Selenko uh, whiteout, whiteout or, or yeah. a Technofiber, right? It's the <laughs> white just pops off the wall. And then women, yeah. like, I have to get this white racket. I don't care how I play with it. It's, it's my racket, right? Because <laughs> it looks good in my bag and I look good holding it. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. And I did a whole video on that. And Pete, like a couple of women were like, how dare you? you know, our team, you know, we demoed rackets and we, we, uh, we chose it based on how, how well we play with it. And I'm mm. like, you know what? I respect that. And I wish everybody was like you, but unfortunately where i am it's all about aesthetics so uh, i'm just telling you what i have to deal with on a daily basis yeah 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 100 (laughs) percent. and then um as far as uh, i guess the opposite question so like you know putting yourself in like um let's say like amateur club level player's shoes you know like a three five four oh somewhere around there like what, what would be your most efficient approach to finding a racket that's good for you I think that most people really should, depending on their age, really should um, demo some rackets, probably start with the 100 square inch um, standard versions of every racket, and then see how you do with those first. Uh, If it's not enough power, definitely go a little bigger and lighter. Uh, If it's too much power, go a little smaller. But I think um, those three fives usually the one mistake that I tell people is don't buy a racket that feels good right now because mm-hmm. it only feels good. Now ask the person who knows what will be good for you later. Like if you're like 25 or 30 years old and you're a three, five player, you, you may not want a pure drive one Oh seven. You may not even want a pure drive. You should probably get something like a blade because mm-hmm. you're going to grow out of that power and develop a stroke easier 
uh, with a blade. It's more flexible. You'll actually be forced to swing. You'll develop a better stroke. You'll have better technique. So that's the one advice that I tell people, like look down the road. Don't look at it right now. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. Uh, I know a, a lot of players, and I think I've done this as well, is like they'll try to find a racket, like if they want to switch, um, they try, they'll start with finding a racket that has the exact same specs. Um, so is that a valid approach or is that still kind of like iffy? That's very iffy, man. It's, <laughs> okay. you wouldn't, I'm, I'm guilty of that myself. Um, I used to read that, you know, flip through the tennis magazines and, you know, oh, there's a new racket out. Oh my gosh. It's, it's exactly my spec. I have to buy this racket. Yes. I literally buy the racket and I go hit with it and it's so muted. I, I can't uh, feel a damn thing. Right? <laughs> the specs are perfect, right? But there's no feel when I hit the ball. So don't fall into that trap because unless you try it, you really don't know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then how much can you, uh, it's really tough because I mean, you got the racket part, but then you got the strings part. And so I don't know, I'm trying to formulate the proper question, but like, um, how do you reconcile both? You know, like, I mean, like what if you, if you find a frame you really like, um, are there some some, uh, times where like, oh, like, my, this doesn't play well with my normal string, but maybe I'll just put some other string in it. It'll play well. Like, do you ever do stuff like that? <laughs> oh, totally, totally. So, okay, certain rackets play well with certain strings. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like certain rackets that are muted, you got to put a lively, louder string in. And mm. in my opinion, a poly would probably work on a thinner, like a thinner poly would work the best. Because you'll mm. feel it when the, when the strings, when the ball hits that string, you'll feel it vibrating more. You'll feel it snapping mm. more, right? And that's what you kind of need. On a louder racket that's more hollow, you probably want to quiet it down a little bit. Um, hybrid would probably work the best in there because that synthetic will quiet that poly down so that it doesn't ring so much. So it, it, it's like I'm one of those people who feel is one of the most important things. I mean, yeah. I string my rackets at 48 pounds just because I want to mm. feel the, the ball hit the strings and I want to feel it release. I want to hear what happens. I want to hear that poppy, that pop noise when it releases. So, and, and I know if I don't hear it, I'm off. You know, when I don't feel it, I'm off. So, and I don't use a dampener, but it's all about feel for me. Got it. Got it. So I guess maybe let's let's give a um, concrete example. So pure arrow, can you classify for me like what type of racket is for you and then what type of string would you say works best? Is that like a lively string or a quiet uh, string? Okay. So we all know who Nadal is, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of what? built for that kind of player. It's kind of, That racket is built for that kind of player. In the years that that racket's been out, I mean, literally 16, 17 years, I've sold it a lot to kids. I mean, kids love Nadal. Kids love that racket. The yeah. colors are, you know, obviously great. It suits that 13, 14, 15, 16 year old kid that you, you know, hits with that massive spin. And it actually works super well with poly, like a straight poly works very well with it. 
And that racket wants to go up. It wants to go north. It, it like trying to flatten that racket out is super difficult. Uh, some of the people that were a little older in their 30s and 40s who bought that racket wanting to be Nadal, they're like, I literally can't hit the line. I can't hit down the line. I'm like two feet off because like, yeah. it wants to go north. You have to spin it to come in. You can't flatten it out. It's almost impossible. So they literally yeah. have to add lead to the top of the head and, yeah. and, and force the racket to come through straight versus going up. So it, it's that racket poly for more massive spin. So Rafa's combo is the combo to get for that one. Mm, got it. Got it. And do you think that, uh, uh, cause I know there's, there's players who like they experience, they put a lot of like lead and all that on their rackets. And then like, is there ever a point where like at that point you should just buy like a different racket? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, since you've already made that investment, you might as well mess with it until, yeah. you know, you can't go any further and then maybe make another investment. Um, yeah, I feel like for myself, like I've gone through this one racket that, that Wilson made, it was called a hyper hammer 4.4. 95 mm. square inch head that was around about 25 years ago. I was transitioning into different rackets and that for some reason that was around and I was just playing with it. It's, it's like, like I said, 10 ounces without strings. So I literally started just adding lead to it, adding lead to it. And I was like addicted to adding lead to this racket. <laughs> Finally, <lying>. my <laughs> final product a year later, like it was a head full of lead like literally like you couldn't mm -hmm. find a space that didn't have lead on it racket weighed 13.3 when i was all said and done <laughs> <laughs> and 33 percent more <laughs> exactly so it was like oh, it was basically a lead racket but i couldn't recreate that hollow feel with another racket mm -hmm. i literally for 14 years searched for something else that would feel like that and i couldn't do it so well i mean what i did was i just bought them from you know, wherever I can find them for 50 bucks, 60 bucks, whatever I could get and just yeah. let it all out because I couldn't recreate what I had. So I think that's what most people um, are kind of yearning for. They want what they have in terms of feel, but if buying a new racket, probably not going to solve that. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, Harry. So how about, um, since we're on the subject, like what's like one tip, one or two that you can give regarding like um, modifying uh, a racket with lead tape or anything else? So you kind of have to see what you're, what you need. Like I ask people like, do you want more spin? Do you want more plow through? Are you trying to flatten it out? Um, I mean, the typical person will add lead at three and nine o'clock, right? Just because they want more plow through. Mm. Or if they're missing something on the serve, you put it at 12 o'clock for more snap down. Um, mm. When I was growing up, it was three, nine and 12 because you wanted that racket to be stable through the strike zone. 
So that's very, very, very typical even to today. Um, people are now doing more counterbalancing like the pros. They would go 12 o'clock and then go like down at the handle to kind of even it out a little bit, even out the weight distribution. If you want more spin, we're probably going to put it lower in the racket. If you want more plow, you put it at the top end of the racket. So it, it just depends on your swing and, and what you're kind of looking for. Yeah, I appreciate that advice. Yeah, because I, I remember um, trying to, you know, experimenting with it. And uh, my, so I, I use a um, Pure Arrow VS, uh, the 2017 version, not the new one. Okay, so I wanted, good one. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I feel better now. Yeah, because I switched to the, I tried the new one and I just, I don't know, it felt like too much power for me. But yeah, I, I, I wanted more stability. So I added lead tape to the three and nine o'clock, but then I just, it wasn't the same. Like, I guess I added too much or something, but like, I don't know. Cause I, I also have like a similar aggressive, like topspin type of swing on my forehand anyway. And, uh, just didn't feel very good. So how about like amounts then? Like, how do you approach like with, you know, how much should you add? Sure. For, for people like you, uh, and for everybody else out there, I would say add four holes worth. So four grommets mm. worth and go with a half inch and split it in half. So you get a quarter of an inch on one side of the grommet, quarter of an inch on the other side, and replicate that on the other side of the racket. Start there, because uh, that's not a whole lot, but enough to feel what the plow will be like. You'll feel it in the head a little bit more. If you put it at 12 o'clock, you'll feel it the most because it's the farthest part of the racket. So you'll definitely feel that racket drop a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So I tell people three and nine, four grommet holes to start if that's not enough then put it at 12. i mean typically that's what people do um if that doesn't quite feel right but you want it still at the head move it to two and move it to ten and mm. then you'll feel a little more drop on the on the racket got it so got that's it. what i would advise you to do like start with the four holes and then go ten and two uh and see how that feels if you want a little more plow you want a more more kind of kind of head weight there. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. Appreciate that. And then, uh, let's see, I was thinking of, uh, oh yeah. So, uh, another selfish question, but hopefully it'll help other people. Uh, maybe a small sub <laughs> subsect, but like, so I, I'm curious, like with the racket that I play with now, the Piero VS 2017, mm -hmm. what would you suggest I try? Because I did try actually the Selenko Whiteout when I was at the uh, USA National Tennis Center. They had had a stick there, mm -hmm. and I really liked it. I, I felt like I had to work a little bit harder to get um, the same amount of power, but it's just like it, it felt more stable to me. And I'm curious, like, what your thoughts are on, you know, which rackets you might try. So your racket is very unique. It's kind of an almost balanced racket. It says it's headlight, but it, to me, it's pretty balanced. There's not a lot of weight in the head. So I do understand why you're trying to add lead to it. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of rackets on the market today that replicates what you have. Um, yeah. Typically, typically, I say if you want to stay with Babylon, it's, it's strike 16 by 19. Uh, that's mm -hmm. as, probably as close as you're going to get. Whiteout is definitely a good option too. Blade 16 by 19 is right there. Um, your string pattern is unique in that it's 1620. So that extra cross yeah. is going to dampen the rack a little bit more. It's not going to spring off as fast. So it's a little denser of a string pattern. But kind of like that's kind of your options, unless you want to go Technofiber 
like a T fight, uh, three Oh, eh, I wouldn't go T fight TF 40, three Oh five would be another option too. Cause that's, that's a, they, they have that in a 1620 and then a, 1619 and maybe an 1820 pattern on those two but but those three are uh and they're all white rackets too <laughs> <laughs> you're the one who loves to look over function you're the you <laughs> problem go. no i'm, I'm putting you into a white racket <laughs> yeah i might do it it does look pretty nice to be honest but um harry actually on that i'm curious um do you guys have like a I, i'm sure you have a demo program like in person right okay do you also do like um ship demos as well at this time no we don't we we're, okay. we don't have the capacity to do that we, we sure. leave that Makes up sense. to the online guys because they have their warehouses and big distribution centers yeah we're, we're yeah, too yeah. small we're kind of local mom and pop still gotcha gotcha no cool yeah. cool just just curious so on to new racket technologies and away from my selfishness um are there any uh new you know racket technologies or just like current ones that like i don't know maybe stick out to you that we we should be aware of and might be interesting to learn about so interesting uh note is that for some reason the trends of rackets kind of all follow each other uh, mm. the current trend is that everybody wants to mess with that throat area that, that leads into the bridge. Everybody wants to soften that up so that mm. we feel the ball more. Um, head uses that ascetic, um, Bablot's added something there too. Yonix has added something there too, but it, it feels like everybody does the same thing to their rackets to kind of follow everybody else. And that's the current trend is that it's in that throat area to soften it up, to give it mm. a little more comfort. So, mm. but that's the current trend. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. So I guess, um, you know, it's interesting. Babolat, I guess their rackets are kind of more known for being stiff and like giving people arm problems. Like, um, but I mean, it's, you know, they make amazing rackets. I've been playing with them for a long time. Right, so, uh, right. what, what, I mean, what's your suggestion for somebody who maybe like they really like the rackets, but they have like a little bit of like arm issues? Like, do you usually point them towards different strings or do you point them towards different, a different brand? Like, what's your preference there? Well, to go back to the source of the problem, um, tennis elbow, I tell people a lot of the times it's something you're doing. It's mm. a technique, technique thing. Um, yeah. if, if you don't cure the technique, you're going to consistently um, have problems with your elbow and it may go to your wrist and it may go to your elbow. So I tell people maybe take a lesson, take a group lesson and just see what you're doing wrong. Um, yeah. and then try to cure it that way. I, I, I mean, I've literally told people that I've seen and, and I was like, dude, you're, you can't keep doing that. It, it, that's what's <laughs> killing you. And they're Use like, I body. can't do it. I can't do it. You know, it, it's like the number one tennis level problem is everybody wants to chop this, this slice back and uh, they do this. Mm -hmm. Well, you're hyperextending that elbow every time you do this, right? You're yeah. supposed to use your body and your shoulders to exactly. slice. So, but they can't help it. It's ingrained in their head. So I was like, well, string it with gut, string it with gut, put a little lead in the, at 12 o'clock and it'll dampen it a little bit for you. Um, I mean, there's things out there that dampen shock. Company called VT Advantech, 
makes great dampening grips. They have strips. Mm. So if, if the source of the problem is vibration, they'll take out the vibration for you. If you're technique, then you got to see a doctor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, a dampener, they call it a dampener, but I call it the sound dampener because it's yeah. the only thing it really takes out is sound. I mean, it'll take out a little bit of vibration, but if you're going to get tennis elbow, you're going to get tennis elbow. So I would, you know, try natural gut, go super loose in the strings, uh, loose as you can. Mm -hmm. And then maybe try out some of these, you know, products that are out there. I know, I know a lot of people wear those braces and it's kind of a topical thing that'll help you for the time being. But if you got to keep playing and want to keep playing, it's going to keep hurting. So it got to cure it from the source. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely great advice again, Harry. And uh, what was that? Um, they're not paying us. So, well, maybe they pay you for if you sell it. But what's, what was that um, bra or the grip, dampening grip, VT Avantech? Avantech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. so they, they've um, invented like a unique kind of a strip that is, they make an overgrip now, they make a cushion grip now, there's a leather grip, and there's strips just like, like lead strips, but it's made out of rubber. So what it does is on impact, it takes out the initial jolt, and then it takes out the the vibration that comes into the racket, into your hand, into your elbow. So, and I've, I was pretty skeptical about the product until I put it into like the people with the worst cases of tennis elbow. And they literally like a couple of weeks to a month later said, it doesn't hurt anymore. And I'm like, great. So your problem came from the actual vibration of the racket. So, so I was a believer after that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the website looks pretty legit too. I guess we'll have to link here. Uh, this is VT Avantech. Um, interesting. Okay. So hopefully this will be a helpful question. I'm wondering if maybe you could name, <laughs> and let me know if it's not a helpful que question, but like two to three rackets that are either you can go with bestsellers or the ones that you recommend the most, like two to three rackets for beginner, intermediate, and advanced players. Interesting. So <laughs> is there a price point or is there, is there no price uh, point? <laughs> all, all of our listeners are filthy rich. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get. I don't think we have a price okay. point, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Very good. So let me just start by, for anybody who just wants to play, mm -hmm. go out there and get like a, a Babylon boost of any kind or... Mm -hmm my favorite price point rackets that are actually should be more expensive is artangos i really love those artango rackets for those of us that live in the states here we don't really know what that is if for those of you who lived in europe uh there are a bunch of artango stores there and the uh the rackets are uh in the decathlon stores we had two decathlon stores out here in the Bay area. Unfortunately they opened during COVID and they kind of you know, aren't around anymore, but the websites are still up. There is the TR 930, which is a clone to the pure drive. It is, it's about 130 bucks and it's probably one of the best rackets you'll ever get as a beginner. I mean, wow. it, it's, you can get two of those for a pure drive. 
and it, it's great. It's already strong. You take it, you play with it. it, it it's perfect. Um, they just signed Gael Monfils to a, a contract. So wow. he's the face of them now. And, uh, and yeah, Katsukina's, um, using their stick too. So uh-huh. they, they're, they're coming up. If you're from Europe, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They're, I call them like the old Navy of sporting goods because they, <laughs> they're, they're, the price points are wonderful. Uh, you can get like exercise bikes and, and weights for, you know, uh, not a fraction of the price, but definitely a good deal versus like some mm-hmm. of the sporting goods stores. So yeah, it's the Cathalon stores. And I, and I really, you know, like uh, some of the rackets and some of the stuff they're doing, they are going to come out with a, a blade like racket. Uh, actually it's an ultra pro like racket, but it's very similar to a blade that Monfils is promoting. And that racket is good. I've gotten so many calls about that racket ever since I did a review on it and it's not quite out yet, but will be out any day. So for the beginners looking for a price point or even the intermediate, those are great, great rackets. Hmm. If money is no object and you're an intermediate person, I would probably just, you know, I, I really like the Selenko rackets, the whiteout, the blackout's really good. If you not a, not a name brand kind of person, uh, if you're a name brand kind of person, obviously you go after like a pure drive, an arrow, a clash, an ultra, in the headline, I love the uh, the extremes. the The new extremes mm. are great. The MPs, the tours, great for all that middle, intermediate, uh, lower, advanced uh, type of a player. Uh, for the advanced people, obviously, Blade is number one. Sixteen, nineteen, eighteen, twenty. Mm. Um, Strike, great racket. If you're good enough, go for Pro Staff. If you're good enough, Wilson. On the headline, they finally made a great prestige after, I want to say, 15 years. Like, this prestige line is wonderful. There's a lot of good feel in it, um, pretty decent amount of power. Uh, but you got to be good to be wielding that thing. So, but yeah, those Excellent. are my recommendations. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, make me want to try all these rackets here. Um, uh, curious, too, uh, back to the selfishness. Um, <laughs> what do you would say the, are the main differences between the Selenko wideout and the the Pure Strike 16 by 19? Because I did try both of them. For some reason, I felt like the wideout was more whippy. Um, I didn't add any of like the weight. Uh, like I think like you can add it to the handler or something like that. But any any particular differences that you can note from those two rackets? So interesting. When, when we first started testing those rackets, literally almost a year ago before they were introduced, they gave us a whiteout and they gave us a blackout. And we literally said, this whiteout's just like a strike. And then the blackout <laughs> was like, this blackout is like a pure drive. I so I'm, yeah, I'm like, of course, why wouldn't you go after yeah. the, the industry leader? Right. Um, yeah. I feel that you are correct in that the uh, strike is a little more whippier. I feel like the, uh, the, the flex point of that racket is in a slightly different spot than a strike. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, it's, it's like a, a- just a hair more flexible, uh, okay. but a good option. Definitely. If you're looking into that racket, I would probably say, give it a nice good look. Cause I think it, yeah. it, I've just turned somebody else onto that racket who's in search of a racket too. And, He's kind of torn between the whiteout regular and the whiteout extended. 
Yeah, which you have a review out, uh, did you put out recently, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. half inch longer to me equals four inches of drag. <laughs> so you better be yeah. in front of that swing. <laughs> True. Yeah, it's interesting. I've never really, um, I think maybe I hit with an extended record once or twice, but for some reason I never ever played with one. It sounds like you're not a huge fan, I guess. So uh, it just should be a helpful question for uh, for our listeners. Like, what are the main advantages? Like, I, I, I know that, like, you know, the serve, I guess, is one. But like, yeah, what, from your vantage point, what are the main diff- uh, uh, advantages to an extended racket? So let me start by saying something. Um, on the extended racket, depending on how you hold the racket, if, if you if you hold the racket like this and you don't see any type of a uh, racket down here, mm-hmm. then you're actually taking the full advantage of the length. If mm-hmm. you have like this much racket underneath, you're pretty much <laughs> negating what it's doing for you. So if you, if, if your butt cap is right there, like it is for me, I'm using it to the full extent. If your butt yeah. cap is down here, right? You're actually kind of at break even point. So you're getting a little more power with the length. People think that they're getting a little more reach. Probably not true. You get, there's a little more whippiness in it too, but ever Mm. so slightly, ever so slightly. The bend point on the racket is different though. So when it strikes that longer racket, you do feel a little more bend on it before the ball releases. So, Mm. and since some people like the way that feels, so just a hair more power a hair more reach and a hair more dwell time in that frame. I actually, you know, back, I don't know how old you are, but back about 20 some years ago, everybody was going longer, like an inch, inch and a half, two inches up to five inches. And I was playing with Dunlops back in the day. And I was kind of tired of playing with my racket that was in a whole inch longer. So I took it to my buddy who had a shop and I was like, can you cut an inch off of this? And he's like, sure. So he literally pew, cut an inch off it. I put a butt cap back on and I, put back, and, I, and I put the grip back on. I went out to play with it. It felt like a kid's racket after that. It had uh, it like, like I destroyed the, the way it flexed. <laughs> like literally it had nothing, uh, no power. Felt like a board. So, so those of you who think about cutting your racket, don't cut it. You will destroy yeah. what, what it's supposed to do. <laughs> Learn from Harry's racket failures. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, it happens. It happens. Um, very cool. Very cool. Um, okay, let's try. Let's go to strings at least for now. Um, I guess similarly, like what's your? I know we well we talked about it a bit in terms of like pairing with rackets, but yeah, I guess any further thoughts on like um approaches to to selecting the right string? I you know we've got like all these different kinds of strings, and we've got like the you know how tighter loose do we string it and all that so uh, then we got hybrids as well so any um any thoughts on how to approach uh selecting the right strings for yourself sure so if you never break a string uh for those people who just don't break strings don't use a poly <laughs> because because <laughs> it'll just be on there forever it'll probably yeah. wind up being 10 pounds of tension at some time and you're not getting anything out of it at that point so if you don't break strings, use a 17 gauge um, high grade multi-filament, like, like a Technofiber X1 biphase or an NRG or a Gamma Professional, um, mm. anything like that. You know, let the string help you instead of hurt you. So I feel like everybody is into this hybrid phase with poly and synthetics or 
or they're like, oh, I want to feel how Polly plays unless you swing and unless you swing consistently with a good amount of head speed and force, you're really not getting any benefit from having any kind of poly in your racket. Now, if you're like an intermediate player that breaks strings and you accelerate through every shot, then I would say, yeah, try a poly, you know, try a hybrid to begin with, see how long that lasts, see how, you know, if it, if it lasts you two months, that's perfect. Like, I, that's how long that poly is going to hold tension anyways. Um, yeah. And then and then maybe ease into a full bed of poly and see how, you know, how you survive it. Because um, that'll definitely last you two months, if not a little bit more. The first transition, like when I had in the poly was like a difficult one. I, I couldn't control the ball. Uh, it was consistently launching out. Like I slowed down and hit the net. I sped up and hit the fence. So, it, and it didn't feel great on my arm. Like my arm had to get used to it. Like the feel, the advantages of it, like what it's supposed to do, how I'm supposed to swing. It took me about a good three to six months to kind of, I get this now. And then after you get using a full bed of poly, you're like, you can't turn back. Like I went back to a full bed of synthetic. I'm like, oh crap, this feels dead now. So it's, you know, but everybody kind of has to go through that. Gut obviously is the best string on the market. If you can afford it, definitely use it. Uh, If you could put it on the main, like Roger and uh, Novak does, definitely do that because nothing's going to beat the feel of gut on the main. Uh, you can cross it with some kind of garbage string and it'll still be fine because you'll be feeling that gut. But yeah, if you can do gut, do gut. But go through the progressions and see where you fall. Gotcha. Thanks, Harry. So natural gut versus poly. I think poly is pretty much all the rage these days, even though like you identified, you know, a lot of players shouldn't be using it. But um, I mean, I guess with the uh, with the with the natural gut, are you getting more power and feel? Is that kind of what it is? So everything. Okay. That's Everything. Correct. Power oh, and okay. feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so gut is actually made out of a natural fiber. So it's actually cow intestine. So mm. you cannot recreate the stretch or the natural uh, flex of that string because you can't recreate like a like an intestine or something that's <laughs> you know yeah. that that yeah. that's natural. Uh, like because you're trying to recreate it with a nylon or a poly or, or something like that. You, you, you just can't recreate that kind of a flex. So, and that's why it feels so good because it has just a natural kind of a give to it, a natural spring to it. Um, mm. So you've tried gut before? Yeah, I've tried gut before. Yeah, a long time ago, but uh felt nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely. Try, try fed setup, put it, put it on the main and try like an ALU rough on the cross and, and uh, see how you like it. I'll bet you'll love it. Yeah, yeah, I think I think I'll do that actually. <laughs> uh, excellent. Um, and then, uh, kind of a niche question, I guess. But does the color matter on the string? Because I see this debate, like where they say, "Oh, you know, like a, a yellow string has more power, or whatever, than like the clear one, and all this and that." So, what do you think? <laughs> so i I didn't believe it. I really didn't believe it until um, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, like the the first time it hit me was about I want to say. 10, 10 years ago. So Babylon made this string called Pro Hurricane Tour. It's yellow, yeah. right? 
And then they came out with the RPM for Nadal, right? If you look at the charts, they're the freaking same string, right? <laughs> one's yellow and one's black. So I started selling RPM. And when I ran out of RPM, I was like, here's a hurricane. And then these kids were saying, it's not the same string. It's not the same string. And then I literally like, look at the chart. I'm like, look, they're made the same. <laughs> Can you they're read? They're both eight-sided. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. They're like, no, it doesn't feel the same. This pro hurricane is, is stiffer. And I'm like, mm. okay. So I kind of brushed it aside for years. Um, and then we tested it. I had somebody, a friend of mine, test it. He has three pro staffs. And they, Yonex came out with a string in orange first, and then they came out with it in purple, and then they came out with it in white. So we literally did a test, yeah. one purple, one white, and one orange. And, and he had me come out and do the same thing. Uh, we brought out the coaches to do the same thing. We all agreed the white is the softest. And then mm. came the orange. We all hated the purple. Purple altered that string so much that it made it stiffer. That's so crazy. yes, strings change things. Uh, colors change things. Wow, wow! Every little thing you put into it, I guess that is wicked. Yeah. Um, huh. In terms of stringing mistakes, um, and you guys obviously do a ton of stringing. We were talking about um, you, you know, before mm -hmm. recording. But like, what are your maybe top couple mistakes that um that amateurs like myself are making when we string at home? <laughs> so here. Um, when you weave it, 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 I see a lot of over overs and then people uh, don't catch it until they're done. So yeah. when you weave, you know, you go under, over, under, over, you go over, over, and then you kind of keep going and then you don't realize it. Some people don't realize it until the next string job, uh, that they kind of screwed up. If you've been stringing for a, a while, like, and you have like thousands under your belt, when you weave, you can actually feel the previous string went over, over, because it'll, it'll feel like, oh, that didn't feel right. And then you kind of glance mm -hmm. down and you went over, over. The one big mistake that I see people is they do that over, over at the last string. They're so excited oh. about tying off <laughs> and being finished that yeah, they kind of forget under and, and then into the hole. So they go like this and straight into the hole and then tie mm -hmm. it off. You know, and literally right before you finish, you screwed it up. So, yeah. but I tell gotta, people like, you, you know, you learn unless, unless you screw it up 10 times that way, you, you, you don't know. Right. Yeah. And, and I've at least done that to every mistake. Oh yeah. Tons of them. Um, for myself anyway. Um, what's the practical effect of that? Like, does that affect the, uh, the playability that much? Would you say like a double over? If you're in the middle of the string bed, yes, it will. It'll affect mm. how it slides. Um, and and mm. like if you hit right at that spot, the ball might not do exactly what you want it to do. It might, Ooh. the launch angle will be a little different. If you screw it up on the bottom by the knot, probably not. Probably not. It's not going to affect anything. But if it's Got in it. the string bed, it might do something. Nice, nice pun, by the way. It probably, probably not. Sorry. I, I love dad jokes and everyone hates me uh, for it. Uh, but, I get you, man. I get you. Thank you. Thank you, Harry. Appreciate that. We're connected. All right. I really hope that you enjoyed part one of my interview with Harry Tong from Tennis Spin. And as always, the links that we mentioned on the show today are in the show notes page. Uh, and you can also go to tennisfiles.com slash podcast. 
and check out the episode there or of course tennisfiles.com slash 265. Sometimes um, that last link may not immediately be available if you listen in on Wednesday morning, um, but uh, nevertheless, it will be live pretty shortly. And yeah, you can always find the links uh, in your podcast app, of course. So there you go. And I uh, really appreciate you listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and you enjoy the podcast, I would really highly, highly appreciate it if you would leave a review for the Tennis Files podcast if you haven't yet. And you can do that at tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts with an S on the end or in your favorite podcast app of choice that you use to listen to the show. I just find that uh, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts is the biggest mover of the show in terms of getting it higher up the rankings and consequently getting more eyes on the show, which will help benefit all tennis players. So yeah, there you go. Really appreciate that. And also would like to leave you with a quote at the end of this show, as I do pretty much after every single episode. And this one is by Andrea Dijkstra. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, could be Dijkstra or Dijkstra. And Andrea said, in order to love who you are, you cannot hate the experiences that shaped you. Very powerful quote there. And with that, I look forward to bringing you part two of my interview with Harry Tong. And Harry, again, thanks so much for coming on the show. And with that, I will see you all on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. This is your host, Mirabhan Aranshad, signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.